remember two weeks ago we were talking about this beautiful scripture where Jesus had said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter into the things of the Father, the things of the kingdom, you know. Well, I want you to open your Bible now to Luke chapter 18, because I want to talk about that again today, this idea of growing up into Christ, in fact, through weakness. Uh, even like this morning, we're talking about this experience where you feel that nothing's gone right. You have nothing in the natural to celebrate. Everything appears to have gone wrong. Yet inside of you, somebody's having a party. <laughs> you can hear the sound of music and dancing from your spirit. You know. So what Steve is talking about this morning is an awareness of the presence of him who is in rejoicing. That's the heavenly realm. Do you know in the heavenly realm, there is thanksgiving. There is a party going on in heaven right now. Praise God. Isn't that beautiful? Because <laughs> they see the end of your story, even if you don't see the end of your story. Now, here's a strange scripture to link with all that. This is Luke 18 from verse 9. And you know this story so well. Luke 18 from verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. <laughs> Anybody ever prayed that prayer? <clears throat> other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I wanted to bring a link today between that scripture and what I was speaking about, about Jesus saying you must become his little child. And I was surprised this morning when I looked at that scripture again to see that if you look down, the very next verse is Jesus speaking about the little children. It's scripture had already put these two scriptures together, which is beautiful. So if you remember when Jesus said that, the disciples were preventing little children from coming to be blessed. And uh, he reacted against that. Jesus didn't like something of this disciples' attitude towards little children. And we asked the question the last time, why did Jesus say that you must become as a little child to receive the things of the kingdom? And the answer we said was because children are the best at being totally dependent on another life for life. Children are the best at being totally dependent on another life for life. So as adults, we saw that when we grow up in this world, we focus so much on being strong in the wrong way. We focus on being independent. We say a mark of maturity in this world is that you're live, able to live independent. You can leave home. You don't need anybody. You're self-sufficient. But in the kingdom of God, that's not maturity. That's immaturity. In the kingdom of God, maturity growing up is becoming more and more dependent on his life for life. So if little children then are the most dependent members of society, who are the most independent? Thanks. Well, maybe you could say rich people. People who don't need anybody to give them anything. Isn't that right? Isn't that what people aspire to be? I, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to get to a place where I have enough. I don't need, I don't need my family. I, can, I don't need anybody. That's what this world lifts up as being rich. And so Jesus, he said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he also said, if you remember in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, what he was saying was, to be poor in spirit means to be dependent. There's something about being dependent on him, being connected to him, looking to him for life that makes you really, really strong. And so what I want to share with you this morning is that we grow up out of this self-life into his life through this experience of becoming more and more dependent on him. In other words, you know, we, we grow, as it were, uh, less independent and more dependent. So if that's true, if that's true that spiritually I grow up by becoming more and more dependent, what sort of experiences in life then are going to make you and I grow most as believers? I think it's discovering that you and I are not able to live the Christian life. Those times when you discover you can't do it, that's when you grow most as a Christian. You know, when you just can't, you, I'm sorry, I don't have the love to love my enemies. To hell with them. That's, when you discover that, when you discover you haven't got the love to love your enemies, and you haven't got the faith to continue to stand, and you haven't got the strength, and you just don't have the heart anymore, when you get there, you're getting very strong in Christ. And I'm going to show you why this morning. Because we were never meant to leave that place. You know, there's an old joke about a mother standing at the foot of the stairs on a Sunday morning, and she's calling up the stairs to her son to get him to come to church. And he's calling back, and he says, why should I come to church? And his mother says, well, I'll give you three reasons. First of all, it's Sunday morning. Second of all, you're 45 years of age. You should know better. And third, you're the pastor. You need to go to church. <laughs> I love that joke. Now, you know, there's a lot more truth in that than you would think. I looked this up actually yesterday. A study just before the lockdown, there was a study of 500 churches in America that revealed that 70% of pastors didn't last more than 10 years. And that when questioned, the ones who were still left, 43% of them were seriously considering quitting. Now the last time, as I was thinking about this, the last time I considered quitting the ministry was nine years ago when everything was sort of going a bit pear-shaped, you know. But looking back, I can see now that coming to the end of my strength, coming to the end of my ministry, was the blossoming of his ministry in me. So I'm telling you, if you're going through a trial, a tribulation, if you feel that you're getting to the very, you can't just can't do this Christian thing anymore, then yeah, you're about to go through a growth spurt. Praise God. Because the coming of end of your life is the beginning of his life. And we're going to see that this morning. If I had not come into a revelation of sonship that I didn't need to keep trying to please him in order for him to bless me, then I wouldn't be standing here this morning, you know? So I can come here today because my hope is not in me and my hope is not in you. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. My hope is in him, is in his life. So when you're just exhausted and you've got nothing left to give, you're more than a conqueror. On your worst day, you're more than a conqueror. On your worst day, you're still a child of God. You see, the world tells you, well, maybe if you clean yourself up and you keep going to church and praying and you've got a great ministry and you've got great fruit, ah, you must be a success. Today, I'm going to show you there's no such thing as a successful Christian. Okay, hold on to that thought. Now, on the face of it, you see, many Christians would look at somebody perhaps who, who quits the ministry as being some sort of failure at being a Christian. But according to the definition we've just given, that we grow most at times when you come to the end of yourself, then if you're going through a period or a situation in your life where you feel like giving up, uh, you're really entering into a growth pattern. You're entering into a, a period of growth. 
praise God. Because experiences that bring us to the end of ourselves, the end of our strength, are actually bringing us back to the place where we began. (laughs) The place where we were told not to move from. (laughs) The place where, in fact, it was all his strength because we had nothing left. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's what Paul wrote as well when he wrote about once upon a time, he wrote to the Corinthians, I was in a place in my life, he said, where I was in despair. I despaired. Imagine the apostle of faith saying that. It was in the province of Asia, he said, and we despaired of life itself. But looking back, this happened that we may not depend on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. I think that's a lovely phrase. You see, very often we want a God who helps us to be stronger in ourselves. But why would God help us to live a stronger self-life when he does not even regard that as life? He regards that as death. I remember, Christine, you shared here one Sunday morning about the prodigal son, and you said that the father, did you notice the father never sent the son red cross parcels in the far country to help him stay there? You know, God will not equip you or strengthen you to remain strong in yourself. He won't do it. Praise God. It's that when we are most dependent on him that we are strongest spiritually. And that does not mean that God is the author of the trial and the situations or sickness or death or the things coming against you. He doesn't need a teacher called sickness and death. You know why? Because he's already sent a teacher into the world called the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He's good enough. But he said, I promise you this, in this world, in a world that exalts the eye, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome this world. Praise God. And therefore you have overcome it in me. Have you ever had a situation maybe in your life where you're saying to God, God, please, will you just help me? Will you deal with those people? If you just deal with those people, (laughs) I'd be stronger. Paul had very many situations like that. And he went to the Lord and cried out, God, why don't you you make me stronger in this situation? And you know what the Lord said to him? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, Paul wrote this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Lord, I don't want hardships and insults and difficulties. And and you know what? I don't want that for my children either. And if you're a good father, you don't want that for your children either. But honestly, if you're an honest father, you look at your children, you'll say, you're going to have rejection in this life. You're going to have trouble in this life. You're going to have all sorts of problems in this life. God's not the author of those problems, but I'll give you a promise. In the same way that you only discover what a life jacket is and how much it'll do by falling in the water, when you fall into this world, you're going to find out in your worst day that you have a presence in your life that's going to keep you up. You're going to find in the middle of the night when you should be depressed, inside of you there's still the sound of music and dancing. You're going to find in the worst day of your life that it didn't kill you. Amen, Robert? It didn't kill you. You know, And through those experiences, you can say, my God, I'm entering into the mindset of I have passed from death to life. So no matter what is held up before me that says, this is it for you, Paul Little, this is the end, you can laugh. For you can say, no, 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 I've already seen the end and I've passed beyond the end in Christ. And that's the victory that we're given in him. Hebrews tells us he came to set us free from what held us in bondage all our lives, our fear of death. That accusation, it's all over for you. 
It's all over for you. When anybody ever says to you, it's all over for you, you can say, brother, sister, it was all over for me 2,000 years ago. <laughs> for I died and I no longer live and now it is Christ who lives in me. Praise God. So our problem very often as Christians is that we become so influenced by the world's idea or the world's picture of strength and maturity, which is a strong, independent self-life, that we all want to be strong, successful Christians. But there is no such thing as a successful Christian. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus said to his disciples, you must become like little children to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus' picture of getting stronger as a believer is to grow more dependent, not more independent. Have you noticed that you can't apply the word successful to a toddler? If I bring you down the town to a mother's and tots and bring you into a room and then there's 12 little toddlers there, you know, and I say to you, Michelle, tell me, pick out the successful toddlers. <laughs> what are you going to do? It just does not apply. You see, you can't apply that word to a life that's totally dependent on another life. So the world's idea of success is independence, a strong self-life. Why? Because the world exalts self. Now look at the scripture again. Have a look back at Luke 18. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. And we went right through that story. And the last verse says... I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the Pharisee thanked God that he was doing so well in following the law. And he named some of the things he was doing in his own strength, thinking God would be pleased with him. He said, I fast twice a week. And I tie the tenth of my income. And I'm not like other men. I am not like other men. You know, he spoke only two sentences, but I counted that he used the word I five times. I, 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 I. When the publican spoke, he only used that word once. See, what the Pharisee was doing was he was pointing to himself. He was saying, I don't need a savior. You know why? I'm busy saving myself. Beware the gospel that points to you. Because really it's the message that you're saving yourself. No, you're not. You don't have to. He already did that. You can now live from there, from beyond that death. That's one of the hallmarks, you know, of a religious spirit. You begin to see yourself as better than other people. Everywhere religion is, you'll find exclusivity. You'll find barriers. You'll find walls. I'm not like other men. Yes, you are. The moment you forget that you're only here by the grace of God, you're in deception. It's a little leaven will start to work in your life and it'll bring you no joy. It'll just bring you burnout and frustration and stress. I remember, you know, one day during the lockdown, I was preparing a message and it was along these lines. I was saying, I'd said something about that, about the danger of being religious, of depending on things like, well, I pray this much and I fast this much. And then I thought, well, I better be a bit careful there. So I wrote these words. I'm not saying that I, that I don't believe in prayer and fasting. And as soon as I wrote it, I felt a real check in my spirit, and I thought, oh, what's that? What, what's wrong, Lord? What, what did I just write? I'm not saying I don't believe in prayer and fasting. What's wrong with that? All I'm saying is I believe in prayer and fasting. What's wrong with that? And within a minute, the Holy Spirit, I really felt, showed me something, and it really shocked me, you know, and I, what I felt the Lord was saying 
was, Phelan, it's just that many of my people believe more in prayer and fasting than they do in me. <coughs> Did you get that? Many of my people believe more in prayer and fasting than they do in me. It's a subtle thing. It happens to us gradually over a period of time. We begin in the spirit, but then we get into the strength of all the resources of church and Christian life. And so subtly, we begin to depend more on what we're doing for him. And that's exactly what happened to the Galatian church. We know that so well. And it's happened in every generation of the church since we start out totally dependent on the grace of God. We start out as little children and we become rich in the resources of religion. And it happens so subtly we don't see it. And so the Holy Spirit has to say to us what Paul said to the Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit that you're now trying to be perfected in the flesh? And Paul could say that, I guess, to our modern church life as well. As he said, again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So you see, those Galatians, they were saved entirely by the grace of God. And they began with their faith in his grace alone. But now they were considering, if you remember the story, they were considering adding, adding just a little thing to the gospel. This little thing about being circumcised. So yes, I'm a Christian, but I, but I need to get circumcised as well. And then I'm a, a better Christian. And it was only such a small thing. But it would mean that they would no longer see themselves as Christians simply by the grace of God, but they would see themselves as Christians because they were also circumcised. In other words, the faith would no longer be on Christ alone, but on Christ plus. Christ plus what they had done, their little traditional way of being a Christian. In other words, they would start to see themselves as having a self-life again, a little part of my life that's apart from God. And they could see no harm in that. If you'd have asked them, they would have said, well, listen, we, 99%, 99.9%, we believe it's Christ alone. He's done it. This is just a little thing. It's just a little thing. Paul wrote a little leaven. Leavens the whole lump. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If Nicola asked me if I am faithful to her, <laughs> and I proudly announced that I was nearly 100%. <laughs> nearly 100%. How would she feel? I don't think she wants me to have a married life and a little single life as well. What do you think? And the Lord did not intend for us to have something beyond union with him. A little bit of ourselves that we do just to make ourselves feel better. Praise God. So how does God feel? When we who are entirely saved by Christ, once we've been in the church long enough, we start to believe that we weren't just saved by Christ, but we're saved by Christ plus. Plus that wee prayer that I said. Remember that one? That's why I'm saved, because I said the prayer well. And what about the fact that I repented sincerely? Did you repent sincerely enough, John? So it's Christ alone to save me, plus that I repented sincerely. And, and I was baptized as well. So it's Christ alone plus I'm baptized. And I go to church. And I sin less than, than I used to sin. And I don't hang out with the people I used to. And I, 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 I. Ring any bells? Here's the problem with I. I can never be like God because God has never been an I. Now, you'll take about two years to think about that, so I'll say it again, okay? I can never be like God because God 
has never been an eye. In the beginning, Genesis tells us, God said, come let us make man in our image. God did not say, I will make man in my image because God is Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship, totally interdependent. None of them says, I can do it on my own. None of them even thinks that life is the life of an individual. That's death to them. Life is being together. God is not an I, God is an us. So to be made in God's image is not to live as an I, but to live as an us. So the first Adam in the garden, in believing the lie that God was withholding his life from him, began to live as an I. He began to believe, I will eat the fruit of the tree, and I will become like God. And although we tend to think of the fall of man as coming from the moment when Adam ate the fruit, in fact, it was from the moment he believed the lie. You see, eating of the tree is only the fruit of believing. What you're doing, which you call sinning, that's not the real root. The root is what you have believed that's causing you to grasp like that as an eye. You see? So from that moment, he believed that he was doomed. I can never be like God because God is not an eye. The first Adam began immediately to live as an eye, even no longer seeing the woman Eve as he used to see her. What did Adam say to Eve the moment he saw her? Can anybody remember? (laughs) That's exactly right, Danny. They were naked. And can you remember what Adam said? He said, that's it. But he looked at her and he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying, us. He's got a new life now. He's saying, wow, us. She's my life. Me and her, we're one together, praise God. But after he believed the lie, After he began to live the I life, he no longer saw her as one with himself. So as soon as God asked him, why did you eat the fruit? What did he say? It was that woman that you give me. That woman, that's right. You see what he was doing? He was now treating her as if she was no longer him, as they were no longer one, as if she had a separate life that he could put off all the blame onto. Do you see what happened? The I life, no longer one. He was treating her as if her life was no longer his life. Whereas Jesus, as the last Adam, did not live as an I. He lived as an us. When people asked him from the age of 12, why are you doing the things you're doing? He says, what do you mean me? I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And when Philip finally said to him, just show us the father, he said, don't you get it by now? When you've seen me, you've seen the father. You see, I live as an us. I don't live as an I. It's not what Paul meant when he said, it is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I do not live in the strength of the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Praise God. See, here's the gospel. What the father of lies produced by his lie, the I life, was put to death by the coming of the us life, Christ. The one who married himself to us, The one who did not deny us, but he looked at us and he cried out, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, spirit of my spirit. That's what God said when he looked at us. Praise God. The I life is the life of the first Adam, not the last. The life of the last Adam, the life of Christ, is not the I life. It is the us life. It is the life that says, I will not be parted from you. For apart from me, you can do 
nothing. There is no life. That's why God said to Adam, eat that. The moment you eat that, you're, you're dead. Because in doing that, you're living the I life, and that's not life, that's death. The gospel of grace is the gospel that leaves nothing for the I to do. That's why it's the most offensive gospel in the world. I'll say it again. The gospel of grace is the gospel that leaves nothing for the eye to do. It leaves no place for the eye. In a world that exalts the eye, that's offensive. That's foolishness. And that's why it can only ever sound offensive to the natural man who's been brought up in a world that exalts the eye. But it is the only antidote to the lie that plunged Adam out of the us life into the I life, out of life and into death. So this morning, I said all I wanted to do really was to emphasize that this quality of little children, their total dependency on another life, might be something we grow out of in this world that exalts the self-life. But in our new life in Christ, to mature, to grow up into Christ, is not to grow less dependent, it's to grow more dependent. We all started as little children, totally dependent on receiving from him, but living in this world that exalts self, that keeps pointing us to ourselves as our hope, before long we start to mix in doing with receiving, thinking we can get even closer to him. And yet all we're doing is estranging ourselves from the grace of God, the very life of God. So to move from receiving from him to doing for him, can you see that's to move from dependence to independence? It is to move from being a son to a servant. And that's what happened to the elder brother in Luke 15. Now, you must know by now that I'm not going to preach a message without mentioning him. Because <laughs> that's where we are as the church in the flesh. That's what happened to the elder son. His younger brother may have walked away from the father, but he worked away from the father. It's amazing, isn't it? In spending so much time working for his father, but not knowing his father, his thinking fell. The elder brother fell from the life of a son to the life of a servant. When his younger brother got home, he said to his father, make me like a servant. Do you remember that? The sad thing was the elder brother had been living that way for years. It came right out of his mouth when he went to complain to the father about the party going on. He said, I have been serving you for years and got nothing from it. What a tragedy. He was basically saying, I'm your son too. But he didn't say that. He should have said that. But he said and said, I'm, I've been serving you so well. And many of us as believers, we put our hope really in that one day we'll get a reward for serving him well. That's a life deferred. That's a life deferred. That's a life in purgatory. It was never purgatory. It was heaven on earth. It was living from approval. Let me finish by saying this. The Pharisees listened to Jesus and listening to him, you know, I guess even as he's told that story about the prodigal son and the elder brother, they would have looked upon the elder brother as the successful believer, the one who had the great track record of service. And they've seen the younger son as the weaker one spiritually. I mean, he's the one who made the mess, wasn't he? So he's the weaker one. But look at the end of the story. Which one is bringing joy to the father? It's the one who's allowed the father to take the tools out of his hand, to sit him down, and for the father to serve him with everything that he has. That's what brings joy to the father. When you will absolutely humble yourself to receive the gift, the gift that Christ paid so much to give us, his life, everything he has. 
We are at our strongest as believers when we come to see again what this world makes us forget, that we have no need to try and become something in our Father's eyes because being his children is enough. Can you say amen to that? Religion will tell you all your life what you have to become. Only the gospel preached in the Spirit will tell you who you are. That's what got Jesus into trouble everywhere he went. He sat with tax collectors and sinners because he looked at the individual and he prophetically told them who they were. Even the man lying in his uh, on his bed, crippled all his life, he said, don't you know, you're the one whose sins are forgiven. What are you doing lying there? Get up and take your mat and walk. <laughs> and the Pharisees said, you can't do that. You can't go around telling people their sins have been forgiven. You believe the gospel of grace, you can. And my God, what might happen if they actually believed in Christ's work? rather than continue for another 20 years believing in their own attempts to be less sinful than my neighbor down the street in the hope that that would get me closer to God. Until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to who we are in God's sight in Christ, we will spend our lives toiling in this world to become someone. There is no greater success than being a child of God. Woohoo! <laughs> Come on, turn to your neighbor. And tell them there's no greater success than being a child of God. <laughs>